Father in heaven, we're, we're indeed thankful for life. We're thankful for a land where at least at this time we can still open your word and we can study. And there are parts of the world where, where that's vastly limited. So we thank you for America and for the opportunity that it still affords. And we're, we're thankful that we have a sense of urgency because we know it won't always be that way. And we're thankful that when other things begin to shut down, when uh, jail ministries start again and all of probably the most prominent speakers here at GYC are doing jail ministries, that the people in this room will be doing health ministries. And you'll be able to use that at the end of time. So bless us to that end. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Did you ever think about that? Uh, true. You know, during times of conflict, that's certainly been true, that the health message has been the last thing standing. Speaking of last thing standing, my wonderful presentation that I slaved away on is sleeping after lunch. All right, we will do it without that. <clears throat> okay, our topic is prophecy as it relates to health. Now, the Adventist church was founded as a result of the preaching and teaching of what books? Daniel and Revelation. Daniel and Revelation are just the core cardinal books of the Advent movement. You take away the preaching of Daniel and the preaching of Revelation, there's no need for an Adventist church. Uh, it, will, it, it loses its focus. Now recently I was reading several of the leading uh, scholars in the church that are concerned about this. One said that the preaching of Daniel and Revelation is largely being left to evangelists and largely being left to, uh, to people that, uh, that focus and specialize on that and that the normal pastors and churches and, and, and some churches are, are getting away from the preaching of Daniel and Revelation. And he said, this is a, a crisis. I had the quote in my presentation. I'll give it to you in a handout so you'll have that. A crisis. He said, that's a crisis. It's a loss of our core identity were the words that he used. Another said, if we lose the preaching of the apocalyptic, of, of Daniel Revelation, we lose our reason for existence both as a church and an educational system. Um, and uh, I believe that's true. Do you believe that's true? It totally lose our reason. Now, I'll say something else to you. If we lose the preaching of Daniel Revelation, we actually lose the intellectual foundation for scientific thought. Now you're saying, wait a minute, what are you talking about? Well, I'm talking about the fact that people that have studied science and its origin, in fact, there's a book I read recently called The Origin of Science and the Science of Its Origin. And this book painstakingly went through the history of the development of scientific thought. And guess what it discovered? Scientific thought was only developed in the cultures that were called Judeo-Christian cultures. 
Many cultures had stillbirths in science, the Chinese, the Hindu, the Mayan cultures, but they never were pronounced developments. They only went so far. It was, according to these researchers from Cambridge University and Oxford University, it was only within the Judeo-Christian realm that science really began to thrive. Have you ever heard that before? It was this idea, another author, another quote that you'll get in the hand diet, the idea was this, that there was in the Bible a certainty about who God was based on what he had said would happen because it did happen. In other words, these authors begin to say, why was there such certainty in the thought of Christians? Why was that that certainty there, and how did it lead to the development of science? It was because when they saw the stars moving, let's talk about Copernicus. Have you ever heard of Copernicus? And he would be called by some one of the early scientists. Would you agree with that? Well, why was it that he had a certainty that when he looked at the stars, he could figure something out? You know why he had a certainty? Because he knew the story of Bethlehem. And he knew that there was a star that moved, and he knew that God ordered things. And this caused him to think, wait a minute, there is a meaning, there is a purpose, there is an organizational structure, there is something there, and those luminary bodies that can, in fact, tell me something about who I am, what I should be doing, where I should be going. How many can see how a mindset like that would lay a foundation for scientific thought? Now, why was he rejected by the church? And that would be the, the medieval uh, Roman Catholic Church at that time. I'll tell you, there's a book called Copernicus's Revolution that I read a couple of years ago that opened this up to me, like kind of like a Copernicus revolution in my own cranium. And as I looked at that, here's why they really rejected him. It wasn't just because, uh, you know, he went against the teaching, the, the, the normal teaching of that day, that everything you know, revolved around the earth instead of the sun. It was because of Copernicus' connection with a certain guy by the name of uh, Rectus, I think his name is. I don't have my notes in front of me. R-H-E-C-T-I-S. I think you see in my mind. This guy was the math teacher that came to study with Copernicus. And guess where he was from? It was not Louisville. <laughs> he was from Wittenberg. Now, where's Wittenberg? And who was teaching there? Luther. And you see, Luther sent this mathematician over to meet with Copernicus. Why? Because he said, wait a minute. Could it be that the Protestant Reformation was foretold in the stars like the coming of Jesus was foretold? Can you follow the logic there? And so the church turned on Copernicus some people think largely because of his theory, but I'm going to suggest something provocative that I haven't yet proved. But I, I think, just piecing this together, I believe they could have turned on him because of the association with the Protestant Reformation. And you see that? And it's fascinating to me to see what happened after the, after the Galileo. Remember the Galileo thing where the church turned against Galileo? It was after that time that most of the writings... Most of the writings about science, what we have today, 
that body of belief, science is not an evil thing, right? Because it's just documenting what is. But that body of scientific thought, it developed most fruitfully under the Protestant realm after the time of Galileo. And it was spread, it spread largely by that Protestant Reformation around the world. Can you see the prophetic significance of the development of science? I like to tell people, I mean, look, I've been doing, I've been working with talented health evangelists for a long time. I wouldn't call myself a talented health evangelist. I would tell my, I would call myself a talented team player, all right? But I've had these questions. We get so many people that are intellectual people that come to health seminars because there's two things about people that come to health seminars. Number one, um, they're being moved on by the Holy Spirit. How do you know that? Because Ellen White says that. She says, whenever someone tries to better themselves, that's the Holy Spirit working on their life. And Ellen White doesn't even have to say it. The Bible indicates it. Because when the Holy Spirit comes, he convicts of something that's wrong, sin, wrongness. all right? <laughs> that's not a word, but just to remember it. And of righteousness. That's the right thing. So wrongness and righteousness, okay? So as sin and of righteousness and of judgment to come. That's health evangelism. Someone gets sick and they go, wait a minute, I will go to the doctor and confess my sins, right? Or if they don't, they take their HC1 and they say, your sugars have been up for an entire month. You've been sinning <laughs> all the way along. Stop it. So they convict them of sin and then of righteousness, the right thing to eat, the right time to eat, the right way to eat, the right foods to eat, the right route to eat, not through your ears or nose, but through your mouth, and all that stuff. And if they follow that, what happens? Wrong, right, and if they follow it, then there's a good judgment. They come back and their sugars are right and they're saved from that problem of diabetes. Amen? That's health evangelism. It's a movement of the Holy Spirit. And as I read my Bible, at the end of time, God's going to pour out His Spirit on this earth. Yes or no? Yeah. And there's going to be a mighty moving of the Spirit. And one of the things that people are going to be interested in is their health. And we're seeing it. I remember, oh, thanks. That's a different presentation I was working on. Thank you so much. This is why she is in charge of everything to do with GYC, except for my computer. Um, <laughs> Oh, wait a minute, look at this. See all the things you can do with a Mac except what you need to do? This is why these, these, uh, uh, these intellectual folks that come to the seminars and whatnot, they, they, start to, they start to come through the seminars, uh, the health seminars and different things, and they begin to say, wait a minute, why is it that your church has these answers? And this is such an exciting opportunity that you have to share with them uh, the truth of the gospel at that time. Now, this, this idea of the connection between science and, and prophecy, and then I'll get to my slides up here. Um, I had a man in one of my health seminars recently, and by the way, at Amazing Facts College of Evangelism, where I teach, we do two or three health seminars a year as a part of our school. So we have an evangelistic campaign, and then for you know, four months before that campaign, we're doing all kinds of things in the community. And like I mentioned just before the break, um, we've used Dr. Nedley's depression recovery in the last several cycles. This is one of the best programs I have ever seen 
in leading people from health to him. We have between 70, 80, sometimes 100% of the people that go through those seminars with Dr. Nedley that then want to study the Bible afterwards. And guess why? Because when, when Dr. Nedley was developing this and we were kind of working on this together, he said, how can we get people into the Bible? And I said, look, if you as a physician say they need to study the book of Daniel as a part of their treatment, they're going to listen to you. If I say it, they might listen to me. I doubt it. And so he did. He said it right in there. He said, and, I, and this was what we had done for years before this, one-on-one. -on -one. Every chapter in the book of Daniel leads from a disappointment to an appointment. It starts with a depression, and it starts with a rectification of that depression in order to get healthy again. Everyone starts with a disappointment and goes to an appointment. And when you saw that paradigm, these depressed folks would begin to see that, and they would be amazed. And we go Daniel chapter 1 through 6. Let me give you one example before I get into my presentation today. <laughs> Even though I'm kind of into it. Let me give you an example from the book of Daniel. It'll come alive to you. You know that when depressed people are depressed, that many times they'll have all kinds of dreams. Did you know that this is true? Exaggerated dreams. Now, in the culture of Daniel's time, dreams were something that were very much, uh, they were very much studied in that culture. Anytime someone had a dream that was bizarre, someone would hear about it, someone else would hear about it, and it would get to the king within, you know, a day. Because he was trying to keep in touch with all of these things. They thought that the, the gods were trying to communicate with them, right? And this king was having all kinds of dreams, but it says the king dreamed dreams, Daniel chapter 2, verse 1. And he had all kinds of dreams, and it says he could not sleep. I mean, remember this. And it says that he was anxious. Now, let me ask you a question. Someone who cannot sleep, and someone who has had all kinds of dreams, and someone who is anxious is suffering from what? Depression. And I'm telling you, these folks, they just go, whoa. And in the midst of his depressed state, what does God do? He gives him the dream. There's an article in front of it, the word the. And it says, the dream. It was different than all the other dreams. It was the dream. And it was so compelling that he said, I have to remember that. It has the answer. Now, I did a study of dreams in the Bible. Because there's all kinds of bizarre books about dreams. If you, I mean, if you go to the library and look up dreams, you're going to have like dream catchers and everything on the front of your car by the time you leave. So the Bible has to guide you, right? And the Bible says that the abundance of dream, that the, the dreams come from the abundance of business. One of the things that dreams come from is unfinished business in our lives. And the king had some kind of that unfinished business. But there's other dreams. There's good dreams. Numbers chapter 12, God speaks to people in dreams. How many of you can see how that makes Daniel chapter 2 come alive? And so the issue in Daniel chapter 2 is how to get connected with the source that can really help you with your problem. And that's what he wanted. He wanted to be connected. He wanted to have a relationship with something that could transcend the anxiety, the depression, the problem that he was in. And how many think that's what people want today? And I'm telling you what, these people's minds, as they see how God has ministered to the book of Daniel to their needs... They fall in love with God of the Bible. They don't know about the prophecies yet. That's 7 through 12. They, they fall in love with, they fall in love with the, God, the, the God of the Bible. Does that make sense? So, have I laid the foundation for you to see the prophetic significance of the health message in some way? 
It's related to those preachings of the book in Daniel Revelation. Now let's look at what I had on my notes. <laughs> yeah, these are some good quotes, so I'll just go through them quickly. You know, modern Adventism, whether it likes it or not, is firmly rooted in the apocalyptic vision of Daniel Revelation. And early in the 20th century, when the Adventist church began, um, a bunch of evangelicals came and told the Adventists, we're going, to split up the, we're going to split up the world among the Anglicans, Methodists, Presbyterians, and whatnot, and, and we'll just reach all the world for Jesus. And, and we'll just, you take this part. But the Adventists said, no, we, we don't want to be a part of this. They rejected that logic and claimed the whole world as their sphere of influence. Why? Because they were impelled by an apocalyptic vision straight out of the heart of book of Revelation that they believed all the world needed to hear. I still believe that. And I believe those books are the key to answering major health issues in the world today. And I believe they laid the foundation for the early Advent movement that had a health message that spanned the globe. And as we revive that teaching, they'll bring revival again, even today. So Adventists said, look, we want to go to every single nation. Uh, what happened? Adventism became the most widespread, unified Protestant group in the history of Christianity. Think about that statement. The most widespread, unified Protestant group in the history of Christianity, says this historian. How many of you are thankful to be a part of that? Widespread. And um, we have nothing to fear for the future except we forget the way the Lord has led us and His teaching in our past history, we're told. And, uh, and I think that is so true in this area. Um, I'm going to switch through, click through these because I want to get into the next part. I'll just tell you what this says, though. I asked Ron Cluzet, who's one of the presenters here, I think, in the plenary session. I said, look, is public evangelism, that four to five week campaign, still effective in reaching people? I mean, you're there at the North American Institution, uh, uh, Divi North American Division Institution of Evangelism that Mark Finley started years back. And you're, you're now over that. There was Mark Finley, and then there was Russell Burrow, and now there's you. Has something changed? I, I know back in the time when Pastor Finley took over, they said of, this is the number one way to reach things. And I know now there's all these wins. And I know you're there in the pulse of everything. Is there something new that you've learned that really can spread the message of Adventism better than the four to five week campaign or better than preaching Daniel Revelation? You know what he said? This is what he said. He wrote it back to me in an email. The answer to your question is briefly, yes, this campaign is effective and it's baffling. Nothing else in Adventist evangelism has proven more effective. I, you know, for some reason, that does not surprise me at all. That's how this movement started. So whatever, whatever you do in health evangelism, don't miss this point. You have got to link it. Whatever you do, you have to do what? With the preaching and teaching of what books? If you're not linking it with the preaching and teaching in Daniel Revelation, don't do it. I mean, maybe that's too strong. But link it. Amen? And, and, and I'm telling you, you say it doesn't work, I beg to differ. In these depression recovery programs, the last, every single one of them, we've had baptism from every depression recovery program I've ever been involved in. The last one we just finished a month ago, we baptized 37% of the non-Adventists that came to that on opening night. Because they saw the connection 
between that and the book of Daniel, they begin studying that, and there'll be more of them that come ultimately. And they came to a, then a meeting. They say, wait a minute, if you helped me so much now, I thought God didn't exist, I felt so bad, but now I, I know that he exists. He's worked through your ministry. And then they come and hear those truths. I'm telling you, never do evangelism without linking, health evangelism, if you can help, without linking it with the message of Daniel and Revelation. Now, Daniel, of course, the first chapter, Hell? Oh, it's wonderful. But you've got to be careful with that one. Like, you know, some people don't come in through the health message, you know. There's other ways people come in. But if they're in a health seminar, that's very true. All right, I'm going to go. i got to switch off. Oh, man, this is such good stuff. But we've got to miss it now because of the, uh, the computer that left us hanging. So there's this huge connection between Daniel and Revelation. I teach all this, at, you know, in another course at another time. Uh, but it leads us as a people to have a, a prophetic responsibility. And these are familiar texts to you. In our, in our three angels' message, you know, the first one is, And I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to them that dwell on the earth, to every kindred, nation, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, what's it say? Fear God, and what? Give glory to Him. For the hour of His judgment has come, and worship Him in the heaven and earth and sea and the fountains of living water. Right? And then that's connected with this, this, this other concept throughout the Pauline epistles and other places in Scripture. Whatever you eat, whatever you drink, do all to the glory of God. So this is the uh, kind of the prophetic link with our message. And then ultimately the whole earth will be lightened with what? Glory, an aspect of which will be whatever we eat, whatever we drink, whatever we do, all to the glory of God. Amen? Okay, so that's the prophetic basis. Now, I believe that the Adventist church is the final exodus. There was a first exodus. I remember the story of exodus. And they came out of Egypt with all its diseases. Deuteronomy 7, 7 says they had the diseases of Egyptians upon them. And as they followed the Lord out on that exodus, he got, all, got rid of all those diseases. By the way, the latest edition of the Journal of the American Medical Association, JAMA, has uh, research of the mummies that now they've looked at those mummies again and they've discovered all the diseases the Egyptians died from and it was so interesting that the uh, American Medical Association put a report of all the things they were dying from and noted that they're the same things we're dying of today. What they did not note and what you need to note is that the way God's people got out of those diseases was all the principles in the Exodus. Amen? Now if you want to hear a study on that that I did Last year they asked me to do health evangelism too. I think they forgot that this year, but that's okay. I'm glad to be here. I'm happy to be with you. But I'm glad that Mrs. Finley and uh, uh, Dr. Nedley joined me this time. But if you want to listen to my study on that, it's last year's Audioverse uh, files from health to him. And I went through not only that, but also the book of Daniel. And you can listen to those online on Audioverse. I'm not going to do that this year again, just because I don't want to insult your intelligence and show you the necessity, of course, of Audioverse. So... Now what I want to do, though, in my remaining time with you in this, this period is to look a little bit more deeply at the connection between health and the doctrines of the Adventist church, okay? Because, by the way, I wouldn't do this as a study with people necessarily. People are interested in, in, in how the Bible answers their practical needs, right? If you say, let's come over and study theology, <laughs> most people go... <laughs> But there is theology in it, and I want to show you the connection between those. So how is the, the message of health 
related to the scriptures, the doctrine of the scriptures. By the way, if you want to have a good chapter that summarizes all the Adventist beliefs in one chapter, what chapter would it be? Hello? Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1, verse 1 through 4. It says, I, John, you know, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which he gave to his servant John, he sent and signified it by his angel, who bore witness to the what? The word of God. Blessed are those who read, hear, and keep. So what's the first doctrine in Revelation chapter 1? The word of God. What's the second doc doctrine? Verse 5 through 5 and 6. To him who washed us with his blood. So that's salvation, right? What's the third doctrine in Revelation chapter 1? Every eye will see him. That's the second coming. What's the fourth doctrine in Revelation chapter 1? I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. What's that? That's the Sabbath. What's the fifth doctrine in Revelation chapter 1? I was walking among the seven lampstands. What's that? Sanctuary. What's the next doctrine in Revelation chapter 1? I am the one who has the keys of death and of Hades, state of the dead. What's the next doctrine in Revelation chapter 1? I am the one who was and who is and who is to come. I was, I am, and I can see into the future. What is that? That's the spirit of prophecy. And what's the last doctrine in Revelation chapter 1? To the seven churches, which are in Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Sardis, Thyatira, all those churches. In other words, the church, the doctrine of the saints of God is all there. How many think that's a good summary? When someone asks me, what does Seventh-day Adventists believe? I don't pull out my 28 beliefs. I pull out Revelation chapter 1. Amen? Amen? Now, I want to go through that again, because you're all freaking out. I, I couldn't write it down. <laughs> and you're, you're like, oh, no, I got, how can I be an Adventist? Just remember, oh, it's in chapter 1 at this point. And we're going to go through it again. I'm going to show how each one of those doctrines relates to the health message. I feel like sometimes I neglect you, because I'm looking back out there, and I'm not spitting on me, am I? <laughs> I had a teacher in the seminary who he would spit on the front row. But I loved his teaching so much, I won't tell you his name. It wasn't me, because I, you know... I'm not him. I loved his teaching so much, and I wanted to be on the front row, that I worked in the emergency room, and I wore safety goggles. <laughs> I said, go ahead, brother, spit on me, but I want to be up here close to the front. Okay, scriptures. The scriptures. The Word of God, we just went through this. He bore testimony to the Word of God and the words of this prophecy. In other words, not just the Word of God, it's, it's the prophetic Word of God. And like I've mentioned before, I believe that, you know, Hindu writings, the Vedic scriptures, have no prophecy in them. The Quran has no prophecy in them. The Begwad Gita has no prophecy in it. The Bible has 28, 27, 28, some people say 30% prophecy. And it's because of that prophetic word that science developed in the cultures where the Bible was. Do you see what I'm saying? It laid the foundation of science. Here's those quotes now that we have on our screen. Hindu, Chinese, Mayan, Egyptian, Babylonian, Greek cultures had in varying degrees starts in science that ended in stillbirths. Um, but belief in God's omnipotence changed the view of nature from imprecision to that the realm of precision. And, and this is what happened with those students of the Bible. It laid the foundation, the intellectual foundation for scientific thought. Now someone says, I'm scientific, so I can't believe in the scriptures. And I say, you wouldn't have science without the scriptures. Amen? Amen. 
Okay, so another quote. The concept of an orderly world as deduced from the rational and consistent God of the Bible provided a basis for belief in the cause and effect concept of science. The pagan gods of other cultures were capricious. In other words, you didn't know what they were going to do. And this does not fit well with the consistency of science. So God could be reliable. He said what he was going to do, and he did what he was going to do, how he said he was going to do it, when he said he was going to do it. And uh, like I said, the first chapter in the book of Daniel is pointed to by um, the New England Journal of Medicine, January 2, 2003, as one of the oldest scientific studies known to mankind. Even the people in scientific realms recognize the debt to the Bible. Second doctrine. What was the second doctrine? To him who washed us in his own blood, right? Grace to you and peace from him which is and was and is to come, to Jesus Christ. He washed us from our sins in his own blood. Salvation is the second doctrine that we see in Revelation chapter 1. How is that related to the health message? Did you know that the Greek word for, sozo, for salvation is sozo? It's the same word used for healing throughout the New Testament. And I love the story in Luke. Why don't we open the Bibles if you brought them with you to Luke 17. I'll just show you this really briefly. Luke chapter 17. And Luke, of course, is the gospel of light. How many of you want some light today? Then look at Luke 17. And in Luke chapter 17, wonderful paradigm that I used in health evangelism many times because it tells you what to do when someone's healed in your health seminar. Send them back to their churches and they tell those people. And then their, their ministers will come. At one point we had what was it, 12 Baptist ministers coming out to our health seminars every week. And uh, then they would invite us into their churches um, following this principle. But look at Luke 17, verse 11. And it happened when he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. He entered a certain village and there were 10 lepers there who stood afar off. And they lifted their voices up and said what? Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said, Go show yourselves to the priest. And it was as they went that they were cleansed. You know what the word there for cleansed is? It's not sozo. It's catharzo. Cathar it's where we get the word cathartic. How many of you know what a cathartic is? It, it gets you on the move, so to speak. Cleans you out, right? So they were being cleansed. A cathartic, if you will. But then notice how it ends the story. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, verse 15, returned and with a loud voice glorified God. Fear God and give him glory, right? Whatever you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. Came and glorified God, fell down on his face, at his feet, giving him thanks, and he was a Samaritan. And Jesus said, were there not ten catharsioed? In other words, cleansed. But where are the nine? And none of them were found except for this foreigner to give glory to God. And to him he said, verse 19, look at this. He said to him, Arise, go your way, for your faith has made you, what's the next word? Whole or well, and guess what that word is? Sozo. Same word used for saved or salvation. So, look, when we have a health, when we have a health program that merely catharzos people, it's not the full meal deal, is it? We want people to be made whole, yes or no? And we don't care... Uh, well, I shouldn't say it that strongly. We don't want them to just live six years longer. We want them to live eternally. We don't want them to just avoid death. We want them to avoid the second death. Amen? Amen. 
And so there's that doctrine of How many can see how that's related to the doctrine of salvation? Number one, the scriptures lays the foundation for scientific thought. Number two, the message of salvation is really part and parcel of a health message. And you see this happen. This, this is from a CHIP program, okay? We used to do, I've done 16, now 18 CHIP programs. And you know, here's someone who comes before to a CHIP program. And they're there for 10 to 14 days, just like Daniel. And this is, this is the narrowing of the artery, or this is the, the picture. It's not really an artery, but this is an image of the heart showing the perfusion. And this is kind of red in here, this section. You can't see it. And, th and this is the same area of the heart now 10 days later. Cholesterol goes from 248 to 137, 10 to 14 days later following a Daniel diet. And see how much perfusion there is? See that? Only that much here, and then this whole section is where blood is flowing now. It's, it's vastly improved. Can you say hallelujah to that? You know what that is a picture of on the screen? That's a picture of repentance. Can you say amen? Have you ever seen a picture of repentance before? I was eating this way, and now I'm eating this way. And when I was eating this way, I was all clammed up. But when I came over here, I'm all opened up. Amen? Amen? This is a picture of the grace of God, documented by science. Amen? Amen? So, that's why we say the message of health is the message of salvation. It documents the effects in people's life of confession and then God's gift of repentance. I want to have lots of people come to that awareness in my church. Amen? And it doesn't just have to be with the preacher preaching. You know? Justification, sanctification, glory. They're going, what does that mean? But they know what this means, amen? Because now their fingers, they can feel them again. And they can use all those places where they have blood flow. And you say, that's salvation. Amen? amen. Okay, so here's what happens in depression recovery programs. I'm telling you the most exciting thing I've done, perhaps, <laughs> besides being the father of four, is depression recovery programs, which is not unlike being the father of four. And in... In these programs, when they come, here's a picture of 18 people that came to this particular program. This is the Beck Inventory Test. This shows mild, moderate, severe depression. Many of them were severely depressed. All of them were moderately or severely depressed. And these are great candidates for, for, for Paxil or whatever else, right? But they came to Dr. Nelly's program. He used the different modalities that he talked about a little bit today, and you can read more about it at drnelly.com in his books. And he used these things. He put them on the Nebuchadnezzar New Start program, you know, and uh, seven years of, of uh, all that stuff. But it's only a few days. The first couple days those people come, you should see them. They're majorly depressed. They don't believe in God. I do religious surveys when they get there. Do you believe in God? No. Why don't you believe in God? Well, how could I believe in God if I feel this way? And if he's supposedly there, why isn't he helping me? They have no belief in God. They would call themselves, many of them, atheists. Because they say, if I feel this bad and God doesn't help me, then who cares about God? And they're angry at God. And they're angry at me because I'm happy. <laughs> Lots of people get angry about, at me about that. And I'm there singing, praise God from whom all. They're going, what is wrong with this guy? Don't you know we're depressed? I said, look, if I start looking at you, I'll get depressed. Look at me. <laughs> and they hate me at first. They're just like, oh, man. And you get these comments, all the people in the program, oh, that guy. <gasps> we like you, Dr. Nelly, but him, no. And Dr. Nelly just goes, <laughs> like that. 
And then by day three or four, they're out there walking, they're out there doing all the exercise, and they're doing everything, and guess what happens? Things start to change, and by the end of it, you see these same people singing hymns, and they're writing testimonies about how they love God, and how God has come alive to them again. Could it be sometimes we're dealing with people who say, oh, he's an atheist. We're not dealing with the physical things that led to that belief. How many think health evangelism is important? Now what happens after 10 days? I'm getting a little excited here. Someone have some medication or something for me here. I'll just <laughs> calm down a little bit. Um, the, what happens after 10 days is amazing. See, some of you are going to sleep. That gets me exercise. So um, when after 10 days, look at what happens. Ten day, can you see those bars? There was a total change. Now, where there was all these severely depressed, there's only one, two, three, four, five that are mild or moderately depressed. That's a 100% response rate. And it happens. How many of you want that to happen in your church or in your seminar group? And people then begin to say, wait a minute. God has saved me from killing myself, from my marriage going south, and guess who helped them? You did. Well, not really you. God did. Amen. And you give glory to God. It's the message of salvation. Come on, you can see the connection. Let's go to the next one. Sanctuary. Remember, we had the Word of God in Revelation chapter 1. We had the um, salvation. The next one should be second coming. I could talk about that. I will maybe later if I have time. But I want to talk about the sanctuary so I don't miss it. I turned to see the voice that spoke with me, and I, as I turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And the book of Revelation is built around sanctuary scenes. Revelation chapter 1, Revelation chapter 4 and 5, Revelation chapter 8, Revelation chapter 11, 19, and, and, then, and then concluding with the sanctuary of God was with men. You know, all the way through you have these sanctuary scenes, and this is the first of them. Well, what does the sanctuary have to do with the Bible? And another question, what does the sanctuary, or what does this idea, have you ever heard that the health message is the right arm of the gospel? What does that mean? Well, I looked it up one day, and I discovered something. You know, it's fascinating when you actually study the Bible, amen? If you actually open it up, and, you, and something you heard, you just trace it through. So I traced through every use of the word right, right hand. I'll just show you a couple texts. Thy right hand, O Lord, has become glorious in power. Thy right hand, O Lord, hath dashed into pieces the enemy. Remember that in Exodus 15, 1 and 2. I will sing unto the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and rider thrown into the sea. And as he led them out of Egypt, it's clear that he led them by his, which hand? Right hand. And as he read them, he says, I'll bring you and plant you in the mountain of your inheritance. The right hand led them where? To the place, O Lord, which you have made for your own dwelling, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. So the right-hand ministry of God led them to the sanctuary. Now, did you know in the same chapter, in the same chapter, it, well, I guess it's not the same chapter, another chapter talking about the same experience. I forgot I put this on the slide. Psalm 78 is all about the Exodus as well. It says this, He brought them to the border of His sanctuary, even to this mountain, which His right hand had purchased. How many of you like that? So the right hand led them to the sanctuary, but then in the context of the sanctuary, you know, these things begin to come alive. This right hand ministry, the gospel medical missionary work is the right hand is to the body. All these right hand things that uh, Ellen White talked about were based, I believe, on her study of scripture, the right hand, because God led them to the sanctuary with his right hand. And when they got there to the sanctuary, what does it say? Same chapter. 
If you diligently hearken the voice of the Lord your God and do what was right in his, his sight, give ear to his commandments, keep his statutes, I'll put none of these diseases upon you which I brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that heals you. You see, the sanctuary was tied up with this message of health. And the sanctuary was a, was a building of healing. Outside the sanctuary was everything that was diseased and unclean. You could not bring that into the sanctuary. There was no swine's flu in the sanctuary because there was no swine in the sanctuary. There was no swine even in the camp. It wasn't even, even around. Amen? And that was kept out. But then when you went in, let me just give you this. This is Mr. and Mrs. Piggy there. Um, unclean animals were up. But when you moved inside the sanctuary, did you ever notice this? The reason I noticed this, by the way, was someone asked me, well, didn't Jesus eat meat and fish? And I was going, what's a good answer to that? And I began thinking about the sanctuary, and I realized that Jesus was fulfilling the outer court ministry of the sanctuary when he was on earth. And I said, do you think Jesus is eating fish and having a steak with the Father up there in heaven right now? Do you think they just went out and hunted some caribou and they came back and they just got some things out of the tree of life and killed a few uh, you know, porpoises and maybe something else and a whale for the, uh, for the angels and they filleted a big whale and they're eating it all? And they said, no, I don't think so. I said, why not? He says, there's no sin, there's no suffering up there. And I said, okay, good. So down here on earth though, he was identifying with humanity and he came as that clean sacrifice in the sanctuary that was in the in the, in, the, uh, in the outer court. But when you move further in the sanctuary, within the holy place, you have this transition. Sometimes meat was brought in there to be eaten, to show the transfer of sin to that section. But then there was new foods introduced. There was grains, and there was grapes, right? Bread and grapes. There was grape juice that went with that uh, show bread at some times. And then you had to move into the most holy place, and guess what you had in the most holy place? You had fruits, nuts, and grains. You had this picture of pomegranates on the, on the, uh, on, on the uh, robe of the high priest when he went in there. You had almonds that had budded and blossomed. So you had almond blossoms and where there's nuts, there's fruits. You had this pointing back to what? To the original diet of Genesis 1.29. Can you see that? They moved from unclean to clean to clean and then what is it? Fruits, nuts, and grains finally all the way back. And you have a picture of health that can develop step by step. Does God, people, does God love people out here that are eating unclean animals? Of course he does. Does he want them to keep doing that? No, but you get them off that when they come to the evangelistic campaign, right? And then you might move them even further when Ernestine Finley teaches them how to make bread. And Mark talks about how all it's good and the grapes and all that stuff. And they go through the chip program and as they're coming along, finally, they're right here with a most holy place kind of diet. By the way, do you think you're going to be eating buffalo in heaven? No, buffalo, no. <laughs> no, there's not going to, it's not going to be, there's not going to be any more sin, sickness, or disease. Amen? And, 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 and how many of you are thankful for how the sanctuary message summarizes the message of hell? And does it beautifully. Among those who are waiting for the coming of the Lord, meat-eating will eventually be done away with. Flesh will cease to be a part of their diet. And I used to read that and say, wait a minute, that's, wow. But then I begin to see how the sanctuary moves people towards that. Can you see that? Does that. And when you get to heaven, you see the pure river of water, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God in the middle was the tree of life that bore 12 fruits, a fruit yielding, a tree yielding fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were the healings of the nations. Ellen White says the leaves are the promises of God. And they hang down to this earth even today. And as we claim the promises of God, 
we can have the healing of heaven here and now. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. How many of you want that? And as you're reading those promises to the people, she says, take those that are struggling and read the promises to them over and over again. How many want to do that? Now, you've got to know them to read them. Amen. Now, I, should I tell you a story here? I'm running out of time. But let me, you mind if I tell you a little story about that? My, well, uh, I had a friend who's actually my brother-in-law who became completely involved in the occult. He, 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 he became involved in drugs. And he was so lost. Um, he was just lost. And we thought he was, he was suicidal. We thought we were going to lose him. And just to make a long story short, by the providence of God, God loves people, even if they're doing the wrong thing. He, he loves you even if you're doing the wrong thing right now. He doesn't want you to keep going that way, but he loves you. Don't ever forget that. He would give everything to get you back. And for some reason, God allowed me to find him through a series of phone calls and different things, and he was living with a witch. If you were here at the previous session, witches try to kill you. I went to this witch's house to try and extricate my brother-in-law. I walked, I've never been to a witch's house before, and I don't recommend it. And I went to the witch's house, and I got into this witch's house, and she opens the door, and she goes... I've been expecting you, kind of like this like legionary, you know, legion voice. And I was like, <laughs> you know, I've been expecting you. And I said, um, uh, I didn't know what to say. I didn't say anything. And for me, that's uh, unusual. And she said, come in. So I came in. I'm, never, I'm not recommending going into a witch's house because I go into the house and guess what she has? She has this skull with red paraffin all over. It looked like someone had stabbed a, you know, someone and they died and the blood was still there. And then she had a picture of someone dying on this wall and there were death pictures all over. There was a sculpture of someone dead. This is where my brother-in-law was. He was in this place and I'm like, oh my. And then on the other thing, he had this picture of the cross with Christ on the cross dying. And I was like, <laughs> lived in Boulder, Colorado, which is surrounded by 16 miles of pure, pure reality because there's no reality right there in Boulder. So uh, nothing against you folks from Boulder, but in this particular lady's house. And, and I said to her, she goes to me, she came right into the room. She says to me, this, this far away, she goes, death is our friend. She said that to me. I was like, <laughs> and I said, as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, I tell you that death is our enemy. And we must be going. She began grabbing my brother-in-law, trying to keep him to stay, and I grabbed him and pulled him out of there. He was so confused on the way back from Boulder to Kansas, where I live. He was confused. Everything in his mind was scrambled. He looked like an omelet gone bad. He was bad. Everything, I mean, he was saying so many bizarre things. And you know what? The Lord brought to my mind scripture after scripture to say to him when he would say something. It didn't completely work, so I slammed the brakes on once, and I said, don't say those kind of things again. But the promises of God. And you know, I began ministering to him with these promises of God. I kept saying, every time he'd say something, God would bring it to me, and I'd say a promise of God like ten times to him. And you know what? This stuck in his mind. He goes, the only way I'm going to be healed from what I've been in is memorizing the promises of God. Did you know he's memorized hundreds of the promises of God now? He got his mind back. He got his memory back. He, he just graduated from the seminary. He's pastoring in Michigan now. He's, eight, he, 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 he's, he's taking all the classes for his MCAT, and he's getting straight A's. His mind is being rebuilt by the promises of God. 
Can you see the power in the scriptures? Don't ever get in a health program where you say, oh, I'm just, gonna, I'm just going to um, talk about the science and then, uh, no. Find a way to get people linked with the real source of power. There wouldn't be any science without scripture, so why not go to the source, amen? But do it tactfully. Okay, where are we? Oh, man, I just feel like I'm running out of time. Dot com. Yes, I am. Okay, <laughs> Sabbath. Sabbath. How many can see how, are you getting a little bit excited about the connection here, right? Sabbath, how is it connected to the health message? Um, of course, Revelation chapter 1, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. I'm going to just show you this quickly. You know, in creation, God used his right arm to create, it tells us. My right hand, I span the creations. Remember, the right arm ministry is the health ministry. In redemption, uh, he brought them to the sanctuary with his right hand. He said, I have purchased this for you. He was redeeming people with his right hand. Now, the interesting thing, the fascinating thing, the, the, just, just the gripping thing, the thing that really got my attention, so to speak, was that this idea of creation and redemption then are summarized in two, two places in Scripture. One is in Exodus 20, and the other is Deuteronomy 5. And what's in Exodus 20? Ten Commandments. And when the Sabbath commandment gets done there, what does it say? For in six days I made the heavens and the earth to see and everything else. In other words, he says, look, my right-hand ministry, remember it by remember I'm the creator. And remember it by keeping the Sabbath. Amen? Amen. And then... What's he say in Deuteronomy chapter 5 at the end of the Sabbath commandment? For I brought you out of the land of Egypt with my powerful arm. Which arm was it? We already learned. My right arm. Can you see how the Sabbath commandment is linked with the right-hand ministry of God? It is no secret to me that at the end of time, the enemy of Christ would try and attack the right-hand ministry and mark his followers in their forehead and in their which hand? right hand. It attacks that. Can you see that? Prophetic significance of that. And the Sabbath is all about that. And by the way, he wrote the law with his right hand, it says. A fiery law came from his right hand. And those are the texts I just quoted because we're running out of time. This is a neat thing that's practical, though. Did you know that the most dangerous place to be on Sabbath morning is at home in terms of health-wise? They did a survey of Saturday morning television programs and found that Less than 10% of the foods advertised were even nutritious. And even the ones they think are nutritious were really bad. And so what they basically said is that of the 344 uh, commercials, 222 were for food. And out of 19 hours of time, basically none of them were any good except for two. And those would be questionable even by our standards. The only fruit that was mentioned was Fruit Loops. So I show people this sometimes. And I say, look, on Sabbath mornings, if you want the health of your kids to go up, you got to get them out of the house on Saturday mornings. You got to get them somewhere, somewhere, anywhere else but in front of that TV. And, and, and I said, you just have to get them out of there because if they're watching that, then they're going to want to do that. And there's a reason they put things on TV because it leads to action. And this one mother says, yes, every time I go to the supermarket, my kid's screaming, dad, I want that because I saw it. And more people know Ronald McDonald that are age 18 months old than know Jesus Christ. And, and they want a happy meal, even though it'll make them sad. So, I say to them, and this one lady, she says to me, where am I going to go? Where am I going to do? What am I going to do? Where am I going to go? I said, look, I got some friends. And they have this little program every Saturday morning. And they just tell Bible stories and different things. You can drop your kids off there, and we got a class for you, too. 
The safest place to be on Sabbath morning is in Sabbath school. Amen? Amen. Can you see the connection between the Sabbath and the other? All right. Speaking of connections, I better connect the dots here before the next session. State of the dead. State of the dead. Remember in Revelation, all the doctrines are mentioned. Revelation chapter 1, verse 1 through 4 was what? Scriptures. And then verse 5 through 7 was what? Salvation. And then 7 we didn't cover was the second coming. Gives us a sense of urgency. And then there was the Sabbath. And then there was the sanctuary. And now we're on what? State of the dead. Now how is the health message related to the state of the dead? Well, we're trying to avoid it. Amen? (laughs) That's a pretty obvious connection. But there's something more. Something more. You see, at the end of time, when Christ comes again, he's going to reach down his hand, just like he did here, just like he did, so to speak, with this apostle. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, and he laid his right hand on me. And can you say amen to that? Saying, saying unto me, Fear not, I'm the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I'm alive forevermore, and I have the keys of hell and of death. I can give you victory over death. Amen? Now, how is this related? How is this message of health related to the doctrine of the state of the dead? <laughs> this was a fascinating piece of research done by Ferraro. I don't know if he drives a Ferrari or not, but this is his name, Ferraro. 2006. You see, people are beginning to look at religions, and they're wanting to understand what motivates people. Have you noticed this recently in the news? Um, this guy had explosives in his underwear, and so they're studying all about his religion, right? Um, why would someone do that? And I've got to submit to you that they're going to do that to you, too, if you're a Seventh-day Adventist. There's going to be a time when they really look. And they're already looking. Look at this particular study. Study of religion. Obesity by religion. They found out that Baptists were worse in terms of being obese. And uh, Church of Christ, 22%. Methodist Church, 19%. Catholics, 17%. And Reformation era Protestant, 9%. Seventh-day Adventist, 3%. And they begin to notice, wait a minute, why is that? And they begin to study, what are the beliefs that led to this? This was in this, this journal. We usually think of religion as contrasting negative behaviors, for all said, but some denominations place great emphasis on separating the mind or soul from the body, which may lead to overeating. And then he quoted all these Baptist preachers in their sermons and everything. He says, look, that theology of once saved, always saved, coupled with this idea that the dead, the the soul goes here and the body's there, those two things combined are what giving you bad health. Man, how many think that's pretty good? How many of you can see the connection? How many of you are thankful for the doctrine of the state of the dead as it relates to health? Because the Adventist church said, just like the Bible says, beloved, I pray that you would prosper and be in health, even also as your soul and body joined together in this holistic, holistic unity that allowed us to develop a health message. I just say praise God for that. Amen? And now there's others coming to that. All kinds of scholars are beginning to see that. i got to close with this one because I am now going into the time of Dr. Nedley, who could inject a curare agent into me at any time here. Okay, 328. Let's look at this. Medical enlightenment in advance. I guess I have two minutes. Um, Remember, in the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 1, verse 1 to 4 was the what? Scriptures. Revelation chapter 1, verse 5 and 6 was what? And then was what? 7. And then was what? 8 and 9. Scriptures. Uh, Sabbath. Then was verse 12. Sanctuary. And then what was verse 17? Stay the dead. But then, the one who is, who was, who is, who is to come. Remember that? 
Uh, that's what I'm suggesting uh, ties together with the spirit of prophecy. How many of you are thankful to be a part of a church that has the spirit of prophecy? Now let me say this. The Bible laid the foundation for scientific thought. Did I make that case earlier? On the basis of what? Bible prophecy. 30% in the Bible, no other of oh, those documents. Remember that? But the Adventist church not only has the Bible, it has been given the spirit of prophecy. And sometimes we're ashamed of it. But when it comes to health evangelism, we should not be ashamed. Because the person that's not ashamed will be unleashed for the gospel. Amen? Did you hear that earlier? Somewhere? Look at this. Now look, there's other people unleashing this. I talked to you about Colin Campbell, Professor Emeritus of Nutritional Biochemistry in the China study, which was the largest epidemiological study ever done in the history of mankind because it was done in China. <laughs> and there's a lot of people over there. And the government basically let out on it. And you said, you go all the towns and collect all the urine samples and every other sample you need and analyze it and figure out what was killing them and not and everything else, right? So he did this big study. And uh, he was amazed at the simple things in the simple country areas were, were, were what would save their lives. But when they got to place, places like Shanghai or Beijing where they were westernized, they were dying like, like we are. But anyway, when he was coming to visit the church I was pastoring in Kansas, before he came, I wrote him an email, and I took Dr. Nedley's book and did an appendectomy on it. Do you know what an appendectomy is? It's taking out someone's appendix. And there was an appendix in his book, and it had all these quotes by Ellen White in it. And I said, well, I'm going to do is just take the quotes out from Ellen White's writings, and I'm going to send him those in the first email, and then I'm going to see what he says. What do you think based on science? Because in the second section, Dr. Nelly had put down all the scientific research that showed those to be true. And I was going to send that as the second email. <laughs> you know, kind of my little witnessing experiment. And I sent it to him. I sent, it, sent him the first email. And I'm kind of embarrassed to say this. Have you ever been embarrassed by how long your email is after you read it later when someone printed it out? And it's like 14 pages long. And you're going, oh, no. Well, the email I sent him was 16 pages printed out. And he was on the road doing lectures, and he got my email, and he printed it out. And he told me, he was driving along in the car, and he was going, this is a 16-page email from this guy in Kansas, but I've got to read it because I'm going there. And he begins reading it, and he gets really interested in all this stuff, these statements by this lady, Ellen White. And I'm asking him whether or not he thinks they're true or false. And he, this is what he wrote back. Would you like to see what he wrote back in the email? I didn't. Well, maybe you should come back tomorrow. No, just kidding. <laughs> Got it. Okay, I understand, you know, dynamics with people, right? Okay, so this is what he wrote in the email, because I never had to send him the second email. This is what he wrote. I am, th now this is, this is perhaps one of the most significant nutritional researchers in American history. He's had over 78 years of scientific research grants given to him, and he's not that old yet. Wow. So, you know, he did a lot of work in a short amount of time. I am not aware of anyone, she's talking about Ellen White, who was more on point than Ellen White. Given her background, she is truly an amazing woman. I'm convinced that almost 100% of her statements are now substantially supported by the scientific evidence that has been developed during the past 20 to 30 years. Can you say amen to that? How many think this guy should be an Adventist minister? Okay. What I have come to realize and to even deeply worry about is why it is that this message of Ellen White and others has been so mislaid on shelves out of sight. Sounds like he should be speaking at GYC. 
He says, you seem to be a saint and you need to be unleashed. Amen? And then notice, it is abundantly clear to me that now is the time to bring this forward in whatever way that each of us are able to do so. You say amen to that? How many think we need, to, we need to maybe put him on our health evangelism team? By the way, they're doing a movie on his life right now. And I've talked with him recently, and he plans to bring up some of these things. How many want to pray for that, that that might happen? Now, uh, I got that from, uh, I, I end with the last thing here, which is the church. Remember in, in our, our schema of Revelation chapter 1, there was what first? Scriptures, salvation, second coming, Sabbath, Sanctuary, state of the dead, spirit of prophecy, and then the church. Does the doctrine of health have any connection with the Seventh-day Adventist church, the church of Laodicea? Well, I believe it does. You know, their Adventists have been the most studied group, one of the most studied groups in terms of their health. There's, there's over 300 studies done on Seventh-day Adventists. Seventh-day Adventists are known around the world because of, uh, of their stance on health, right? And you've got magazines coming out with Seventh-day Adventists living longer. You've got MSNBC saying, if you want to live long, live like the Seventh-day Adventists. You've got uh, the, sty- the, the Adventist Health Study 1 and now 2 coming out saying that Adventists live longer and have more uh, uh, quality of life in their lives. And you know why that is? Because there's a group of people that believe in the Bible as the rule of faith. There's people that believe in the salvation of Jesus Christ and live it in their lives. There's people that believe that Jesus is coming again and doing everything he can to hasten it. And there's people that believe that the Sabbath is a symbol of creation and redemption. And there's people that believe that God's going to raise them from the dead. And there's people that believe in the spirit of prophecy. You know why Adventist Health Study 1 and 2 were so successful? Because before any science was talking about it, there was a group of people that simply said, I see that the Bible says it, I see that inspiration says it, and I'm just going to live it unashamedly. And because they lived it unashamedly in that generation, the power of that message has been unleashed in this generation. How many of you can see the connection between health evangelism and the doctrines of the church? Let's pray together, then we'll take a break. Father in heaven, thank you. Thank you. Thank you that your message is not just an intellectual message, but it's a very practical message that impacts our health and gives us help not only for mind, but also for body and for, for spirit. We praise you that we can be a part of an Advent movement and we can be a part of a movement that wants to share the message of health. Help us to do just what Dr. Campbell said. To wisely, but deliberately and unashamedly share your message. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. This media was produced by Audioverse for GYC, Generation of Youth for Christ. If you would like to learn more about GYC, 
please visit www.gycweb.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.